Pints with Jack, Season 3, Episode 24. Trent and the Screwtape Letters. Good morning. Happy Thursday, everyone. I thought that today I would share a bonus episode. So in a little bit, I'm going to play an extract of an interview that I gave on the Council of Trent with Trent Horn, where we were talking about the Screwtape Letters which is going to be the book we're going to be studying next season. But we'll get to that in a moment, because this morning I was looking at our Patreon dashboard, and we've been very good at sending out all the glasses and the coasters and the stickers, the US mail notwithstanding, Uh, but I realized that we have been terrible at toasting people. We told people that if they pledged $10 or more each month, that we would toast them on the show. I'm rather ashamed to say that I think we've only toasted one person so far. So, starting today, I'm going to be much better about it. And today I would like to toast Deborah Walker. And since this episode is about screw tape, it's going to be screw tape themed. So I have a little glass of my engagement scotch, my Glenmorangie La Santa. And so Deborah, may you always resist evil, and may you always be of great annoyance to screw tape. Cheers. And with that, here's an extended clip of my interview on the Council of Trent. Welcome to the Council of Trent podcast, a production of Catholic Answers. It's time to go on a tour. We're going to go on a tour in the next two episodes from hell to heaven and back again. And one of the greatest Christian apologists uh, in the 20th century, if not in the history of the church, Uh, is going to be our guide, and someone who hosts a podcast dedicated to this particular apologist is going to be our guide to the guide (laughs) to the afterlife. I am Trent Horn. This is the Council of Trent podcast. I'm glad that you were able to stop by. Uh, Before we get into our interview today with our wonderful guest, I just want to remind you, be sure to go and check out trenthornpodcast.com. Your support is what makes the podcast possible. And when you become a supporter for as little as $5 a month, you get access to bonus content there. We've got lots of bonus content, sneak peeks of my book, uh, Can a Catholic Be a Socialist?, including uh, coming soon are the audio portion, so sneak peeks of the audio book, Can a Catholic Be a Socialist? Uh, I've also posted some fun little videos. If you ever wanted a tour of my office or show how I pack for a 16-hour trip overseas and what well, you can learn from that as well, Getting you can get a special thank you video from me, the ability to submit questions for our open mailbag episodes, lots of great stuff, and sneak peeks of our upcoming episodes. Uh, next month, I'm going to be doing a debate on the deuterocanonical books of scripture. So I'm going to be debating on the podcast. Uh, we actually haven't had done a debate in a long time, so I'm super excited for this. Uh, I'm going to debate the author, uh, Steve Christie, the author of the book, Why Protestant Bibles Are Smaller. So uh, our subscribers will get a sneak peek. That'll be mid-April, but if you're a subscriber to the podcast, you get the debate early just for you. All that and more, be sure to check it out at trenhornpodcast.com. Now, on to the show today. Our guest is Mr. David Bates. He is the co-host of Pints with Jack, a podcast devoted to C.S. Lewis. And he also has some other fun personal news that have come crashing into our Catholic Answers studios as of late. We'll get to shortly. David, welcome back to the podcast. It's wonderful to be here again. So uh, we're going to talk about C.S. Lewis. We're going to talk about, you've been on before, so I'll include links in the descriptions of this podcast to the previous 
episodes we did i they were i think we're gonna call them you you don't know jack but i don't remember if we stick with the title or not but it was a good introduction to c.s lewis when we had you on before mm-hmm. yeah just outlining who he was what his life was about and some of some of the ideas that he communicated in his writings and so what we're going to do for today's episode and thursday's episode is we're going to dive deep into two of his books we didn't get a chance to touch on in uh, our previous introduction to lewis before we do that you have big news you have you have you are now engaged to assistant producer Marie, who uh, works here at Catholic Answers Live, helps to set up the studio for us to do interviews like this. And I was there, and you you put me to shame, man. I, Laura and I we just went to the <laughs> melting pot adoration, and I said you want to get married, and she's like, sure. I'm like, okay. I mean, it was a bit more formal than that. But you uh, you did vespers at the church, you had a blessing, and then you you had all the friends and family downstairs waiting. I mean, kudos to you, my friend. Uh, were you nervous? I was terrified. Oh, yes. Uh, I actually wasn't meant to be cantering vespers, but all of our other cantors disappeared that week. So it was in danger of being canceled, but I had planned everything around that. So it was like, okay, no, I'll, I'll do the cantering. But it was, in the end, really good because it meant I had an hour of singing praises to God and reading his word in preparation before I actually got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. Oh, my gosh. Were there tears? There were so many tears. I was crying. Everyone was crying. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And especially because I'm in that I'm in that time of life. Laura and I were talking about this, and maybe our listeners can sympathize, where you go through time of life, especially like in your 20s, you know, you get married, your friends get married. There's like a a bazillion weddings you have to be off. You're like, oh, I got to go to another mm-hmm. wedding. And then you get older, you're like, I- I'm not going to any other weddings. <laughs> and the only thing you hear is like, so-and-so got divorced. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, but then it's exciting within a, a circle of your friends to see um, to see people getting married, especially in a culture that uh, likes to talk the talk about marriage, but never really rarely walks the walk, mm-hmm. you know? And your listeners might recall a time quite a while ago when you spoke about doing a trip to Disneyland with a couple who were dating. And yes, that was the two of us. So I, I think that I, in the grand story of your romance, I have a little <laughs> a little place there to allow your little date at Disneyland to be magic instead of tears and chaos and waiting in line, <laughs> sunburnt and other things like that. Which, by the way, if you're going to Disneyland and you uh, don't want to have tears and chaos, check out our previous Free For All Friday episodes how to hack Disneyland, you won't be disappointed. Let's hop into the topic for today. So let's just give a quick one-minute summary. People, Almost everyone's heard of C.S. Lewis, but a lot of things they may not know about him. Our quick one-minute primer on C.S. Lewis. Sure thing. So I think most people know C.S. Lewis as the author of The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, He was actually born in Northern Ireland in 1898. He was known to his friends as Jack. That's why our podcast is called Pints with Jack. And he was raised in a Christian household, but he became a confirmed atheist very early on, even while he was still at school. Uh, however, following World War I, he started to reconsider his atheism and starting to see issues with that worldview. And he then became a theist. He described himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. Right. And eventually then he became a Christian. And he was part of the Inklings. He's really one of the founding members. And that was a a group of uh, scholars and writers, uh, people like Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, and the author of The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. And over uh, over the course of his career, Lewis wrote many, many books, 
20, 30. It kind of depends on how you chop them up. Uh, but he wrote across all different genres, fantasy, sci-fi, apologetics. I'm, I'm hoping to catch up to him, at least in number. I thought about <laughs> trying to catch up to Peter Kraft, but it's never going to happen. Not possible. I don't think it's possible because he's still writing books. I think he's written over like 90 books. I'm up to, I think, 9 or 10 right now. So uh, maybe numbers-wise, Lewis, but I don't think I'm ever going to beat Lewis when it comes to <laughs> genre. I mean, I, I'm playing around nonfiction right now, here or there, uh, but it's it's hardly getting anywhere. Uh, but genre-wise, he was an amazing prolific author when it comes to, to crossing different types of literature. Mm-hmm. And he was immensely well-read. He had yes. read everything in their original languages. Greek, Latin, didn't matter. All right, well, let's get into one of his works then, which is kind of a mishmash of genres. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's part apologetic, part fantasy, part horror, uh, and that would be the screw tape letters. So what are the screw tape letters? Well, for many people, this is their favorite book of his. Uh, He published it in 1942, so this is still during World War II. And it was actually the book that made him famous, particularly here in the United States. It actually even got him on the cover of Time magazine. So, yeah, I thought it was it would have been mere Christianity. But that, that started as radio series, then became back, a book. Back in England, yes. Oh, yes. But, but this is the book that made him famous. It, particularly in the United States. This, this was the one that really put him on the map. That would so be us. Instead of like, we enjoy this profound apologetic defense of Christianity. And then in America, it's like, we want the lurid <laughs> book about hell. <laughs> Thanks, America. Well, I'm right. I'm going to I'm going to defend the Americans because this is also a very very profound book and it's it very is. subtle and it's very very funny. Yes, and he Lewis does what he does best, which is communicating deep spiritual truths in a way that engages both reason and the imagination. Right. So yeah, and we'll be talking about that more. That this book, and then in Thursday's episode, we're going to talk about the Great Divorce. He uses a lot of imagined supposings, mm-hmm. and so this is one of this is one of those. Yes. So in the Screw Tape Lighters, it's what if you could overhear what the devils are doing. So the Screw Tape Lighters is a series of thirty-one letters that are sent from a senior demon. Uh, one called Screwtape, to a junior demon who is also his nephew called Wormwood. Mm-hmm. And he's basically instructing him in the art of temptation. Screwtape is trying to show him how to take his patient, this Christian that he's been given to tempt, how to send him to hell. And the, the funny thing about this book is everything is turned upside down because you're getting it from the demonic point of view. Right. So good is bad, bad is good. When Screwtape talks about the enemy, he's actually talking about God. Right. When he talks about our father below, he's talking about Satan. Mm-hmm. And it's just so full of, of humor and wisdom and some really fun names. All of the demons have names like Screwtape, Wormwood, Slubgob, Glupos, Toadpipe. Uh, <laughs> I guess a lot of them, uh, when you're drawing the motifs of like, how do you name a demon? It seems like a lot of them are connected to either insects or ooze or just, and that's what our, our imagination gravitates us towards as to what the demonic is. We just find those things that are aesthetically the most displeasing in our physical reality. And they're like a faint image of the demonic, mm-hmm. essentially. In all of his books, Lewis chooses wonderful character names that are evocative, that, that engage your imagination even before you've learned anything about them. Uh, I love him. I, this must be an inkling trait because I well I think well it must have been Tolkien who who said this the most beautiful word in the world he said it was cellar door cellar door mm-hmm. cellar door 
Uh, and that was the Inklings as Tolkien worked <laughs> with Lewis. They knew how they knew language well because he, he said cellar door the most. And when I say I'm like it does have the perfect balance to it. And he said you just combine it together cellar door cellador, and then now you've got a character name. And uh, but that that crafting of languages is, is is so helpful, and, and that's good because uh, this book was a response to someone of his time who was also good at crafting language to rile people up, and that would be Adolf Hitler. Who, of course, who's the most appropriate person to originate the idea of a book about the demonic, but but Hitler himself, right? (laughs) Yeah, Lewis was listening to a speech by Hitler. I think he was listening to it with a friend of his who was also his doctor. And he was really shocked by how how when he was listening to Hitler speak, he was momentarily convinced. Mm -hmm. And he was was convinced of things that he knew were false. Right. the, the following day, he went to church. He didn't actually go to the service that he normally went to. He normally went to the one without the organ. So he ended up going to a service with an organist who chose music that he didn't like and a clergyman who he thought he couldn't preach. And so he was kind of bored during, during church. Right. And so he was reflecting on the speech that he had recently heard from Hitler. And he was thinking about how Hitler's speech and Satan's temptations are very similar insofar as they swerve us away from the things that we want and the things that are truly good and twist up and confuse our thinking. It's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent bold-faced lie, because then you just not listen. No, but it has seeds of truth sprinkled in it that end up that end up getting you hooked. So the, from my understanding, is that the it began similar like how mere Christianity began as a series of radio addresses. This began as sort of a series in a Church of England magazine called The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was released in a serial fashion. So each letter was in each edition of the magazine. And well, some of the biographers noted that there was at least one clergyman that wrote into the magazine to say that he was cancelling his subscription because some of the advice given in those letters was not only erroneous, it was downright diabolic. <laughs> yes, it does remind me that I wrote an article, my, my first article that was the genesis of my book, What the Saints Never Said, um, and so I wrote an article based on that in Caligansers magazine, and I included at the beginning saying that Abraham Lincoln once said that one third of the quotes on the internet are false. <laughs> and someone, we printed this in letters to the editor the next month. Someone wrote in saying, I would like to highlight an error in your magazine. Either the internet is older than we know, or Abraham Lincoln lived much longer than we know. So I would like that to be corrected in the next issue. And then our, our editor, Tim Ryland, simply replied back. Uh, he said, there are these two options. Is, or there's a third option, dot, dot. <laughs> Thought. So, all right. So th- then, these the the series eventually became the book, and it deals a lot with the psychology of temptation, and a lot of that seems to be drawn also from the ascetics, the Desert Fathers, uh, and this is just really refreshing to see, especially uh, from a Protestant. And I think this is probably common among Protestants in the mid twentieth century: the idea that we need to combat the devil to protect our souls. Because one of the hardest things that that I deal with now, I mean, you know, I did my debate with James White three years ago, and I still interact with Protestants all the time. Their main thing is, well, once saved, always saved. You can't mm-hmm. lose your salvation, which I think has got to be, if he, if he rewrote the book today, that would be Wormwood's best advice to, to give the young demon. Just tell him there's no way he could lose his salvation, take him off his guard. But Lewis was concerned about this, just like the desert ascetics were. Yeah. And what was interesting is people asked him where where he got his material for the screw tape letters. Was it from drawing from the ascetics of the desert and all, all great church history and our great mystics? Yeah. He says, well, somewhat, but mm-hmm. there's actually another way of knowing this sort of thing. And it was basically by introspecting and seeing 
where he fell down. When, when you fall into sin and you look back and you see the ridiculous lie and ridiculous train of thought that you followed mm-hmm. that took you there. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. And we're going to go through now. I encourage you to read the book for yourself or to get it on audiobook. I think you would thor- thoroughly enjoy it. All of uh, Lewis's works are great in that regard. So let's talk about Screwtape's advice. So the habits that he wants to instill, he tells uh, uh, Wormwood to mm-hmm. instill in his victims. So one of them is hell by the gentle path of small sins. Yes. Screwtape wants to teach his nephew that it's not necessarily about producing great wickedness in your patient. Uh, just make sure he gets to hell. He, he, he gives some example of some small sins, and he says that you'll say these are very small, but doubtless, like all young tempters, you'll want to produce great wickedness in your patient. And he says, it doesn't matter. He says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's all about a slow fade. You don't want your patient to realize how far he is sliding away. Mm-hmm. And with this advice, I think it's possible for all of it, we can invert it to get someone to heaven. But we could not not completely invert it, but take it in the different direction. So the same error to think that in order to go to heaven, I have to be a saint today. I mm-hmm. have to be perfectly beatified in this very <laughs> moment. And since I can't, I give up, is that doing small acts of good and self-denial, especially small acts of Mm self-denial. It's like, you know, I'm not going to be able to jump into the, you know, a fast immediately and give up all corporal pleasures. So it's like, but just deny yourself something small. And then the more you do that, you will grow in strength in that area. This ties back into something that we talked about last time I was on the show about heavenly and hellish creatures. Right. Lewis had this idea that and it's, and it's, it's from firm, firmly based in everything in life that you start a journey of a thousand miles with a single step. Right. That it's these, it, these small acts of virtue that will lead to you to becoming a virtuous person and small acts of vice that will be sending you in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at uh, another one of the habits before we go on talking about the issue of the church, which I think is, is interesting that you would think a lot of this is just about uh, willpower and appetites. And that is a lot of it. But there's also theological advice that he gives that the the demon gives wormwood uh focus on the temporal rather than the eternal screw tape tells his nephew you want you want to keep this guy thinking in just the here and now don't let him have his eyes on heaven don't let him think about eternal things and he even recounts a story of somebody that he had been tempting years ago and he said he was a confirmed atheist he was all good and he was reading in the library and Screwtape notices his train of thought going off in an odd direction, one that he didn't like because he knew where this was going. And he said, so what I did is I immediately took control of the man over the best part of him over which I had control, Mm -hmm. his stomach. I suggested, (laughs) how about lunch? And he says, my patient brightened up. He says, yes, yeah, this is far too important to think about on an empty stomach. Let's go get something to eat. And he says he had him out of the library and he gave him a good dose of real life. So he saw a bus, he saw a newsboy. And before he knew it, he, would, he, would, he was well away from the train of thought that would have perhaps led him somewhere that Screwtape didn't want him to go. And this is, this is one of the reasons why we fast. We're in Lent at the moment. Right. And the entire point of fasting is about self-mastery. Yes. It's we master ourselves, we master our passions so that we are in charge of our body and not the other way around. Right. And I think that anytime we look at when we're denying ourselves things, uh, whatever it may be, whether it's denying something for a fast or saying no to a particular sin, whether it's small or large, 
something I, I usually say to myself that's helpful, helpful to remember, and I would tell my children the same thing, is that uh, many times you will regret saying yes, but you'll never regret saying no. Like, it's just about getting out of that present moment, because then just to have a future of days and months and years and decades where you can always have the pleasure of knowing you said no. Mm. I mean, that's so enduring of wonderful pleasure than the guilt of having said yes that you that can't ever really be undone. And if you can't ever say no, what is your yes even really worth? Right. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. Your yes only means something if you also have a corresponding no. Uh Theological advice he gives. Uh, so Screwtape wants to make use of the man's parish, his actual church, to drive someone away from mm-hmm. Christianity. How does he do that? <laughs> I'd invite listeners just to think about your parish and uh, think about the people who annoy you. <laughs> and Screwtape says it can be because they have squeaky shoes, because they sing off key. You don't like the way they dress. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. All of these things can, uh, you want to focus the patient's attention on these because it'll start to annoy you and you'll start focusing on the other people's vices, either real or imaginary. And he says you want to keep your patient thinking about that and never once consider how ridiculous he might look to them Mm. and assume that because he can see the, the sins and faults in these other people that therefore Christianity isn't really true. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's so funny that in the one place where he should be able to find so, solace and comfort, and it would, of course, make sense for, for those who are uh, for the demons to say, you know, we don't we want to keep you away from God, church, especially, you know, go to mass, the divine liturgy. That's the place to be closest to him. Let's throw out all the big guns we can right here just to annoy you. But and, it's important to know that's what's happening. And to try and inoculate him from the grace and wisdom that's there. Right. Because if he's spending all of his time criticizing and thinking about how terrible everyone else is around him, he isn't going to have an open heart to receive the grace that's going to be there. And to encourage him to shop around, to think maybe, a, maybe and this is funny, maybe a better church will be better for me is part of uh, Screwtape's advice to go church shopping. Absolutely. And I think this is something that's become more rampant in recent years, this kind of ecclesial consumerism, that you just keep shopping around to try and find the church that's right for you, which tends to be a little bit of a code for the one that serves everything up on a platter for me and doesn't really demand anything from me. Mm. And also, if you can keep him shopping, then he'll never put down roots. If he never puts down roots, then nothing will ever be asked of him. Mm. Because it's when you put down roots in a parish that you really grow. Right. You know, iron sharpens iron. And it's, it's when you actually have to deal with the parishioner who sings off key. It's when you actually have to do a job that your priest has asked you to do that you would really rather not do. I would say do. about that parishioner, you handle me very well. So I am, <laughs> I am quite grateful for that. Uh, yeah, what is, so it says in, in the screw tape letters, his advice, he says, if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of church, churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, God, wants him to be a pupil. Now, of course, I don't think that means that you know you can't ever <laughs> choose a church that makes you feel at home with mm-hmm. God. I think that's appropriate. But the sense of that church only exists to fulfill my particular needs is something I shop around at, just like I shop around for a restaurant or a department store. That's where you start falling into trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and you, you see this especially. And there we go. I hope you all enjoyed that. I actually appeared on Trent's show twice, so I'll probably do the same thing next week. 
post a bonus episode where I give you an extended clip of that interview. But if you're a subscriber to the Council of Trent, you'll be able to hear the whole thing on his Patreon page. And I thoroughly recommend it. He produces some really quality content. But with that, I'll say goodbye. I hope everybody is staying safe and sane. And we'll see you all next Tuesday, when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.